Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, our number is 877 381 Where are Joe Biden and Kamala Harris today? Where are they? We have a disaster on the southern border. A disaster for children on the southern border. A disaster for our country on the southern border. And it's only getting worse. And it's not just the southern border with Texas. Arizona. California. People are coming in from all over the world now. It looks like Kamala Harris, in the end, didn't want the responsibility to be in charge of such a a daunting task. It looks like the policies that they revoked and the policies they replaced the Trump policies with have been an absolute disaster. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris don't seem all that concerned about it. They don't seem all that worked up about it. The spokes idiot, Pasaki, she doesn't either. And I'll return to that a little bit later. But I am going to ask a question. And I ask this question not because I, I know my own opinions of what happened to George Floyd, because I thought what happened to George Floyd was outrageous. But I'm going to ask a different question. Is it really possible for Derek Chauvin to have a fair trial? I don't want calls on this. I'm not interested in that. But I do want to raise the question because it's been, it's been kind of swirling around and nobody really wants to address this. People are too afraid to talk about it. Is it possible for this officer to get due process? 
The case remains in Minneapolis. Even though jurors have said, the ones that have been chosen, that yes, they can be objective. Can they be objective? Is there another case and the resulting consequences of what took place any bigger than this? Maybe the OJ case? But that didn't result in what took place all through the summer, the riots and so forth. Could a jury actually do its job knowing that if it decides in a way that in the end finds Derek Chauvin, the, the police officer, ex-police officer, not guilty or guilty of some lesser offense, can the jury actually function as a real jury? I look at the defense lawyer in this case. What it must be to be him. What it must be like. It's got to be enormously difficult. You know he's not getting fan mail. And don't get me wrong. I want justice done in this case. But we do have a justice system. CNN and MSNBC have been on this constantly. The initial video, which we all saw in terrible horror. And it was horror is being played over and over again, even while this trial is taking place. And even if the jurors are sequestered, the people are not sequestered, we the people, obviously. The CNN piece goes like this, a series of bystanders who witnessed former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin kneel on a handcuffed George Floyd testifying court Tuesday about the horror and fear they felt watching Floyd slowly die. And it truly was grotesque. They included a nine-year-old girl, three high school students, a mixed martial arts fighter, and a Minneapolis firefighter. Several said they had gone to the Cup Foods corner store in Minneapolis for a snack or other small item on May 25 last year, only to witness Floyd's last breaths. I was sad and kind of mad, the nine-year-old testified Tuesday. Because it felt like he was stopping his breathing and it was kind of like hurting him. The MMA fighter, Donald Wynn Williams II, testified. He was so disturbed by what he saw that he called 911 to report it. I called the police on the police, he said. I believed I witnessed a murder. Minneapolis firefighter Genevieve Hansen, who was out for a walk on her day off, testified she wanted to render aid to Floyd and repeatedly asked police to check for a pulse, but the officers refused. I tried calm reasoning. I tried to be assertive. I pled and was desperate, she testified. I was desperate to give help. Two of the high school students took cell phone videos of the arrest which were played in court for the jury. The teenager was, uh, who took the most widely known bystander video, Demela Frazier, testified she saw her own black father, brothers, cousins, and friends in Floyd. I look at that, and I look at how that could have been one of them. Now, I will just say this. That may well be true. I have no question about it. 
But that kind of testimony, if anything, in my view, shouldn't even be in a uh, courtroom. That's just not on point. You're trying to uh, determine the uh, truth and veracity of the allegations against, uh, that is, the charges against the defendant. It's been nights I've stayed up apologizing to George Floyd. She was identified, let's see, apologizing to George. Hope this didn't cut off. She was identified in court only by her first name, but she's been internationally recognized for her decision to record and share the video. The third high school student said she saw Officer Chavin dig his knee into Floyd's neck. She said at one point, Chauvin got out his mace and started shaking it at bystanders, uh, called on officers to get off Floyd, who called on officers to get off Floyd. I was scared of Chavin, she said. The testimony in Chavin's trial comes 10 months after Floyd's death launched a summer protest, unrest, societal reckoning, they write. Uh, The officer, the ex-officer, I should say more accurately, Chavin, 45, has pleaded not guilty to charges of second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. In opening statements Monday, prosecuting attorney Jerry Blackwell said Chavin used excessive and unreasonable force when he knelt on Floyd for 9 minutes and 29 seconds, a number that differs from the 846 timing that has become a symbol of police brutality. Chavin's defense accepted the new timing as accurate. Blackwell offered jurors a clear and simple case against Chavin, largely centered on video evidence. You can believe your eyes that it's a homicide, he said. You can believe your eyes. In response, Nelson argued that the case was more complicated than just that video. He said Chavin was following his police use of force training and argued Floyd's cause of death was a combination of drug use and pre-existing health issues. He said the use of force is not attractive, but it is a necessary component. And it goes on. Uh, There's not much more to the article, but that'll suffice. Feel free to to look at the media. It's being covered widely, which is what you would expect and want, right? But I'm raising a question, at least in my own mind. Can this ex-officer get a fair trial? Now, look, I'm not a juror. I'm not a judge in this case. I'm observing this from afar. And unlike some people, I think what this officer did was abominable. And there's nobody who's more pro-cop than I on the radio or on TV, period. And I've had many cops in my family who worked for the Philadelphia Police Force in the past. So this isn't about pro or anti-cop. This is about this particular ex-cop. And I don't think we do law enforcement any good to pretend that, well, you know, he's just doing his job. No. He could have used common sense, and he didn't. But that's my opinion. I'm not a juror. I'm not involved in the justice system here. I'm observing it like the rest of you. But there is an objective question. And the objective question is, is it possible under these circumstances to get a truly objective jury, every single juror on that jury? 
and to have a uh, a trial as as uh, compelled under our constitution and the I assume the state constitution in uh, Minnesota. It's just something that enters my mind, and I wonder. That doesn't mean if he's found guilty, he shouldn't be found guilty. The evidence seems uh, quite overwhelming to me, regardless of whether uh, George Floyd had been using drugs or had uh, issues. Um, That's almost beside the point. So that's my question. There is no answer. I just thought I would pose it with you because it's been something I've been wondering about for a couple of days now. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years. It continues these efforts today. Not only its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 through charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit the college to preserving civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution and the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage of liberty that too often today is falsely derided or denied. Hillsdale's motto, pursuing truth and defending liberty. Since 1844, it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. I feel like we're living in some kind of a manufactured environment here. We have this disaster on the southern border that's going to affect this country for a generation. It's going to empower the Democrat Party further down the road, and that's what they want. Nobody's in charge of it. Not the President of the United States, not the Vice President of the United States. Not the Secretary of uh, Homeland Security. Nobody. The Speaker of the House, the Democrat majority leader in the Senate, they say nothing. Not a word. They were upset, they said, with these cages that Trump left little kids in as he tore them from their parents. Of course, it was a lie. But if they were concerned about this, this is a thousand times worse. And all the abuses and sexual stuff and all the rest of it that's going on down there from the, from the coyotes, from the cartels and all the rest. It's as if it's not even happening. Really, the only serious coverage of this is occurring on the Fox News Channel and OAN and Newsmax and conservative talk radio. The other media outlets will touch on it, but they're not. They're not even passionate about it. They seem utterly unconcerned. It's the same thing when you look at the spending. They use these terms like infrastructure, where you 
Well, not you, but the general public is supposed to believe, all right, they want to fix fences and bridges and streets. and When this is a tiny fraction of what they plan to do, they want to institute massive parts of the Green New Deal. That's what they want to do. They have massive tax increases coming. They want you to believe it won't affect you. Well, of course it's going to affect you. When capital gains taxes are increased massively, and that's what they're talking about at a level with income taxes, that affects your pension. you have an IRA? Do you have a 401k? Do you have some defined plan with some company? Well, guess what? You're going to get whacked. And companies, public companies, what do you think they do? They give out stock. They sell stock. Companies are made up of stock. Stock and bonds. And so if you're going to massively increase the corporate income tax, massively increase the capital gains tax, well, what do you think is going to happen to the private sector? And I'm not just talking about the big companies where the billionaires are liberals. I'm talking about mid-sized companies, even small companies. And what are you going to do about the entrepreneurs out there who want to start companies, but they know if they happen to make a certain amount and they want to, you know, reinvest it in their own business and so forth, they're going to take a whack. They're going to get hit. More questions. What do you think is going to happen to this money? Don't you think it's going to go overseas? Where the investment climate is more attractive? That's what happens, and of course it will. All of you men and women that work at steel mills, all you men and women who work with your hands in the oil patch, all these places where you work on your hands, all you men and women who work on assembly lines, whatever you're producing, automobiles and so forth, when your companies take a capital gains hit, or when they take an income tax hit, It clearly affects you and what they're capable of doing. They're going to eventually shrink the economy. And this taxation has literally nothing to do with their spending. We couldn't tax enough to keep up with the spending that's going on here. It's not possible. It's simply not possible. So this is more gratuitous Marxism, class warfare, redistribution of wealth, punish the successful, and on and on and on. To what end? To what end? And where's Joe Biden? He's not available to discuss any of this. Where's the vice president? She's cackling all the way to God knows where. She's not available. Nobody's responsible for anything. You can't hold their feet to the fire. He keeps going home to Wilmington, Delaware. Why? Well, I have my own thoughts on that. But you understand, we have an utterly unaccountable government right now. We don't have access to our senators and state representatives. They're plowing through the rules like there's no tomorrow as well. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years. It continues these efforts today. Not only its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, 
and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit the college to preserving civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution and the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage of liberty that too often today is falsely derided or denied. Hillsdale's motto? Pursuing truth and defending liberty. Since 1844, it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. This is Radio Free America on The Mark Levin Show. Call now, 877-381-3811. I'm serious about this, ladies and gentlemen. We have a right as American citizens. We have a right to hold our officials accountable. We have a right to know what's going on day in and day out to our country, what's going to affect our families, what's going to affect our schools, our health system, our jobs. Things are being done behind the scenes with the Democrat Party. I feel like they have this this neo-Marxist Politburo where they hatch their ideas, where they push their ideas. I don't know about you. I didn't elect AOC, did you? I didn't elect Nancy Pelosi, did you? I sure as hell didn't vote for Joe Biden, did you? Well, there's 50 Republicans in the United States Senate. It's split down the middle. Only 10 majority of Democrats in the House of Representatives. What about all of us? Do we get a say in what's going on in this government? Do we get a say in what's going on in this country? Apparently not. You're going to rely on the media. You better forget that too. They're as corrupt as hell. They helped insert Joe Biden into the Oval Office and they won't tolerate anybody who objects. Period. But this is supposed to be a republic, a representative republic, and I don't feel very represented. Do you? It's not like the Democrats swept in and have a 55, 58, 60 vote number in the Senate, and they took another 30 seats in the House. No, they lost ground in the House, and they didn't win many of the seats they were expected to win, quote-unquote, in the Senate. They did very poorly. Which is why so many questions were raised about Biden. But they certainly don't have a mandate to do what they're doing. None whatsoever. And Joe Biden didn't even run on this mandate. He tried to conceal it, even though they put out that document, and I was waving it on Fox and waving it on Levin TV and reading from it day in and day out behind this microphone. But my reach is only as far as it can go. I'm well aware of that. And you have this propaganda trying to counter the facts that you hear day in and day on MSNBC and CNN and the rest of the media, the New York Times, the Washington Post. Unrelenting propaganda and deceit and demagoguery. But here we are. We have a man that held one press conference. And what's he going to do? Wait another four months to hold another one? As I said, he might as well, based on how that press conference was conducted. That's not a press conference. That's ridiculous. Call on liberal, predictable, sycophantic lapdog media types who probably knew in advance that they were going to be called on 
his pictures of them because he doesn't even know who the hell they are, the damn fool. That's right. He wants to go big and he wants to go fast. And so here we are. I mean, our taxes are going to go up. We're going to be regulated to death. People are going to lose their businesses. The stock market's going to get hammered. You can already see the price of fuel going up. The price of electricity is next. And this is before his government's really even taken hold. If they do what they do in California, and that's what they want to do, that's the prototype, you're going to see brownouts and blackouts down the road. It's going to happen. You're going to see huge inflation down the road. The Fed's doing the best it can to control it. But there's a point at which when they control it, they do more damage once they take the foot off the gas. This isn't the way you run a country, not our country. This is the way you run some two-bit dictatorship in the third world. And then they try to push that back, excuse me, push through these, these, these changes to our system, these changes to how we vote, to fundamentally and permanently alter this country? Is that what was on the ballot? Is that what was on the ballot? No, you had a doddering, nasty old man who pretended to be a moderate. You had these debates in which the debate moderators, for the most part, interrupted and protected him. This whole thing is a farce. His presidency is a farce. The Democrat Party is a farce. Fronting for this tyrannical agenda that they have, and that's as obvious as it is, it's tyrannical. You have a socialist president in Mexico who prefers Trump to Biden, because he knows Trump is a man of his word. He knows Trump wants to secure his border. Mexico wants to secure its southern border, too. It doesn't want Hondurans and Guatemalans and everybody else coming to Mexico. All this talk about Latinos and Hispanics. They have different ancestries, different backgrounds. They come from different countries. Just like white people come from different countries and have different backgrounds and so forth. But they stick us in these categories, they stereotype us, like we all think alike, we all look alike, we all behave the same way. It's just BS. The attack that's taking place now is on the individual. Everything is government-centric. Everything they talk about involves more government, more spending, more debt. More regulation, more taxes. That's all about empowering the Democrat Party through the government. It's that simple. Your liberty is a problem. Your liberty demonstrates the failure of their ideology. If you're successful, you have now demonstrated that you can make something of yourself without the government. They can't have that. They can't tolerate that. So on multiple levels, they're trying to conquer us from within. Conquer us from within. Immigration, or lack thereof, illegal immigration. The voting system. And economically. They're trying to conquer the individual. They're trying to conquer your free will. That's what they're doing. It's that simple. And meanwhile, Biden's popularity is over 50%. Now, why is it over 50%? Because his handling of the COVID virus and the vaccine 
gets hugely high marks. Hugely high marks. 72% in the ABC News poll. 75% on distributing the coronavirus vaccine specifically. As Matt Margolis writes in PJ Media. Notice how I give credit to people because they deserve it. They dug it up. Biden has a whopping 75% approval for COVID vaccine distribution. And he's been lying about it, claiming the Trump administration haven't given them a vaccine distribution plan and saying they had to start from scrap. The lying, the propaganda, the repetition by the corrupt media has an effect. The truth is submerged in the lies. Operation Warp Speed, all the things that were done by the prior administration, the production, development, production, distribution, it's going as smoothly as they had intended. If if Donald Trump were in the Oval Office, this exactly would be taking place. So he shows up. A man who can't even hold a press conference without notes, without people telling him what to say, without the photos of the press person, so he can make sure he's calling on the right person. The development, distribution, and provision of vaccines. This is a very, very complicated thing. Very complicated. The idea that Joe Biden comes in and within three weeks it's all cleaned up. You know, we didn't have anything. There wasn't a plan. Every expert who worked on the plan with Trump, the vast majority of whom don't have a political bone in their body, say this is a lie, except Fauci, who's now working for Biden, and now credits himself. This guy needs to go. In my view, this guy's a real psycho case. He really is. So tyranny is swirling around. Our governmental system's under attack. Our economic system's under attack. Your individual liberty's under attack. And by the way, the fact that I say this, the liberal media one day will accuse me of inciting some nut job, won't they, Mr. Producer? It's sick and it's unfortunate. Not them, not their policies, not their propaganda. When you turn on CNN or MSNBC and you hear the low lives on there, Scarborough and his disgusting guests, or CNN and their disgusting guests, They don't incite anything, ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 no. I speak the truth. I speak the truth about what's going on in this country. I don't expect our media to agree. They hate me, and they hate you. But this isn't the way this government is supposed to function. Not in the least. It's almost as if we're observers, as if we're not even citizens in our own country. And they have more and more ideas on how to control us, whether it's the Second Amendment, whether it's vaccination passports, whether it's a wealth tax, whether it's our health. They want to control our health care? Are we out of our minds? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. in. 
Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years. It continues these efforts today. Not only its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 through charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit the college to preserving civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution and the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage of liberty that too often today is falsely derided or denied. Hillsdale's motto? Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. It will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Twice as many children, twice as many children are in Border Patrol custody under Biden than Trump during the peak of 2019. Now, Biden lied about that last week. He said, we're at 29 percent or something to that effect. Trump is at 31 percent. He's a liar. He can't help it. He's always been a liar. So Anna Garatelli of the Washington Examiner Reporting from McAllen, Texas, the number of migrant children being held in Border Patrol facilities is more than double the record that was set in June 2019. As of Sunday, 5,762 unaccompanied minors were being detained inside cells at Border Patrol facilities near the Mexican border, the U.S.-Mexican border. Now, this is just Border Patrol facilities. We're talking about upwards of 15,000 now in a period of a couple of weeks. In comparison... 2,600 children were documented in custody at the height of the 2019 border crisis, according to federal data exclusively obtained Monday evening by the Washington Examiner. The figures underscore the magnitude of the situation on the border, which President Biden and Democrats have refused to recognize as a crisis. The word's gone out throughout the White House, to Democrats on Capitol Hill, to their surrogates, and to the media not to use the word crisis. So they're not. The number of children in Border Patrol facilities is also far higher than the number of children separated from their parents under President Trump's zero-tolerance initiative that mandated children be taken from their parents so that the adults could be prosecuted. That's not exactly correct, but we'll go on. In other words, Biden is presiding over more unaccompanied children in government custody than when Trump intentionally separated migrant children from their families. President Trump separated migrant children from adults in order to determine if these adults were actually part of their family. That is a fact. I have talked to him about this. We've talked to Stephen Miller about this. Why there's some confusion about this, I will never know. And here's the other thing. We know that what Biden's doing is worse than any president has done. Period. Any president. No president has tolerated this kind of illegality, not even Obama. We don't need to compare him to Trump. We don't need to compare him to anybody. 
How about he stand up like a man and confront serious journalists, not the frauds that were asking him questions last week, and what next? We have to beg him for another phony news conference two months from now? It's just what I'm saying. We, the American people, we don't have to tolerate this. The hell is this? And then we have to read about infrastructure plans and infrastructure bills and Green New Deal snuck in with the infrastructure. And they're going to use a, and they're going to abuse and violate, really, a budget rule in order to push it through so the Republicans have no say. Massive tax increases. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, none of that will affect you. How much you want to bet? It will all affect you in one way or another. No, 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 you don't understand, Mark. Sock it to the rich. Sock it to the rich. If the stock market takes a hit, you're socking it to a lot of people who have pensions. You're socking it to a lot of businesses that hire people. This is what the Democrats do. Remember, the Democrats don't get stronger and stronger. Their party doesn't get stronger and stronger. The more liberty you have, or the more freedom we have, or the, or the freer our economy is, the Democrats are about government, and that's how they rule. That's how they rule. And I want you to think about something. It seems simple and obvious, but it isn't. Once I say it, it will. You're getting a look at what the Democrats and their ideologues will do to you and to us if they ever do have unchecked power for the next hundred years, a century, which is what they're seeking right now in the first hundred days of the Biden administration. I really want you to understand this. In the first hundred days of the Biden administration, they are trying to make changes that will forever change the relationship between the federal government and the citizen and will forever ensure that they are in power. Now, once that happens... You can already smell, feel, taste what they're capable of. Attacking free speech. Attacking religious liberty. Attacking the Bill of Rights, including your right to bear arms and protect yourself. Attacking due process rights. Attacking private property. Attacking state sovereignty. Eliminating a separation of powers wherever they can. This is what they're capable of. And this is just a little taste of it. If they are able to control the instrumentalities of the federal government, and if they are able to control those instrumentalities for a period of decades on time, without any threat from a competing political party, without any chance of anybody challenging them, Democratically, you can only imagine what they're capable of. They are capable of great tyranny. That's what history tells us about the Democrat Party. Great tyranny. Whether during the slave era, whether during the segregation era, or whether during the Jim Crow era, and now the democratic socialism era. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I was unaware that Van Jones on CNN had said what I'm about to play for you, but here it is. It's laid out as predicted. Take a listen. Hat tip, Breitbart. Cut 15. Go. And I think on the other side, what I'm seeing is we talk a lot about white rage. Uh, white anger, uh, the angry white man. There's some white grief. What, what, whoa, 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 whoa. You do talk about, I don't watch CNN. You talk about white rage, white anger, and angry white men. You're a bigot. You're a racist. You throw everybody together. There's a lot of very kind and decent and temperate white men and white people who aren't angry. So why do you talk this way? Because it fits your narrative, your Marxist narrative. The oppressor and the oppressed. The bourgeoisie and the proletariat. A caste system, a class system. None of which is true about the United States of America. Here's a guy that goes on TV, I guess, every night and gets to speak his mind. And he's still, you know, it just is is appalling to me. The kind of loose-lipped racism that's being spewed on these networks. By the likes of Ann Jones. Go ahead. That hasn't been talked about. This country is changing in ways that a bunch of white folks did not sign up for, didn't expect, and don't know what to do with. And so they, a lot of this rage is unprocessed grief that we need to be able to talk about. No. Fred, does he have some kind of a uh, mental health degree, psychology, psychiatry, and if, even if he does? Do these schools of learning now embrace the idea that some clown can get on TV and just start projecting and theorizing in a way that conforms with his ideological bent? Just listen to this. Go ahead. Not going to back off. It is true. It may be the fact that your grandkids may not look like your grandparents. This country is changing. But it can be a greater country as a result. We need these white uh, voters who are supporting Republicans doing stuff that they know is wrong. Need to be. Oh, I see. So these white voters, you just got to join the neo-Marxists in the Democrat Party. You got to join in the democratic socialism. You have no choice. It's inevitable anyway. Your grandkids are going to embrace it. It doesn't matter. Don't resist. What are you voting for Republicans for? We know they're bigots and racists. What are you voting for them for? You just need to join us, you see. Go ahead. Higher purpose. The Republican Party, which used to be the party of Lincoln, should not be the party of Steve Bannon. First of all, the party is not the party of Steve Bannon or anybody. And you say the party that used to be the party of Lincoln. Notice he never talks about the Democrat Party and what the Democrat Party was. It was the party that was opposite Lincoln. It was the party that was opposite liberty and freedom. And he's a Democrat. Now, how does he explain that? The party of Lincoln. Is he aware that the critical race theory that he embraces and so many embrace trash Lincoln? You remember they're trying to pull down various monuments of Lincoln, among others? The party of Lincoln believed in individual liberty, not a massive redistribution of wealth, not in 
defining people by groups, individual liberty. Abraham Lincoln used to recite the Declaration of Independence endlessly. Abraham Lincoln embraced the Constitution of the United States. Is that where Van Jones is? Is that the kind of message he's spreading? I don't listen to the guy. I'm just listening to this. He talks about white rage, white anger, angry white men. Is that how Lincoln would have talked about whites or blacks? Go ahead. These terrible ideas, and there's no reason for it. And so, What got- terrible ideas are you talking about? That you ought to have voter ID to vote? You know what's interesting? Let me move into this. He's rambling. He's got his narrative. Remember he was crying when Joe Biden was elected. It's a hack, pretty much. Over at the Daily Wire, if voter ID laws are so racist, Mr. Jones, why do 70% of black people support them? By the left's own standard, the vast majority of black people in America are now white supremacists, writes Cabot Phillips at the Daily Wire. This month, as Republicans in Georgia passed sweeping voter ID laws aimed at bolstering election integrity, Democrats resorted to their favorite tactic when confronted with a policy they don't like, crying white supremacy. Now, in this case, prominent figures on the left united to push forth a particularly disgusting narrative that voter ID requirements are tantamount to Jim Crow laws. Sort of the thing that Van Jones is saying here. Used to be the party of Lincoln. Despite the ahistorical nature of these claims and the fact that there are still millions of black Americans who actually live under these racist Democrat party mandates in the segregation era South, Everyone from Stacey Abrams to Joe Biden to Elizabeth Warren lined up to fight what they called the new Jim Crow. And Biden in his first press conference as president even went as far as saying Georgia's new voter ID law makes Jim Crow like Jim Eagle, whatever that means. So what was the reaction from black Americans, the very people supposedly doomed to suffer oppression under this new era of codified so-called racism? Far from fear or anger. According to a new Rasmussen poll, the reaction was support, overwhelming support. Nearly 70% of black people living in America support laws that require prospective voters to provide an ID, such as a driver's license, before being allowed to cast their ballot. Turns out that the vast majority of black people in America, the very individuals Joe Biden assures us, are victims of racism under voter ID laws, well, support those laws. See, Van Jones is speaking as a leftist, as a neo-Marxist, in my humble opinion. And so there we go. That's the kind of talk we get from him. And then we have Jen Psaki at the White House. The propaganda stays on and on and on. They, they have no respect, no respect for votes, uh, excuse me, for their uh, Democrat base, none whatsoever. Maybe they shouldn't, I don't know. Cut 16, go. Well, during his press conference last week, the president was very stern and expressive when it came to expressing his opinion about the so-called voter suppression laws in Georgia and elsewhere. But what tangible action will the president take to turn that tide, particularly when you're talking about a federal bill facing an appall? See, that's not a question a real reporter would ask. That's a question a hack asks. A real reporter lists some of the things that are in the Georgia bill, and then list some of the things that are in H.R. 1, S. 1, and ask Pasaki to explain the 
overwrought, in fact, the unconscionable propaganda used by the president and her, Van Jones and others. But they don't do that. They want to know what the president's going to do to advance the ball on this left-wing agenda. What's he going to do and when's he going to do it? So they're, they're lobbying. Go ahead. Well, there's a a number of actions. One, I wouldn't call it so-called bias because we know that in communities across Georgia, there have been polling places that have been closed. Stop. I've explained this over and over again so even LeBron James could figure this out. So even Pisaki should figure this out. In black communities, the communities have a say through various representation, black representation, and where the polling places will be in their communities. If there's not enough polling precincts, that's not on white America. That's on the local communities and the local officials in those communities. Polling places that have been closed, she says. Does she know why they've been closed? Does she know who's closed them? No, she has no idea. Neither does LeBron James. Those polling places weren't closed by the white Republican state legislature or the white governor or any white anything. Those decisions are made at the county level and the local level. Why doesn't anybody tell the truth anymore? Why do we have to keep pushing that America is racist and if they don't get the result they want, the left and the Democrat Party, or even in minority communities, that it must be because of this white dominant, white privileged culture? What are they talking about? These decisions aren't made that way. They're just not. Go ahead. American communities, so I think that is real bias. Um, second, I would say that we don't see these. Uh, we certainly know there's an uphill battle for lots of legislation, but we are encouraged by the conversations that are happening about moving uh, legislation forward to... Well, now make- imagine if the legislatures, the Republican legislatures, conducted themselves the way the Democrat Congress does. Or imagine if the Republican governors conducted themselves the way the Democrat president does. What would she say about that? What would she say if the Republican legislature cut the Democrats out of everything and railroaded everything through? Instead, they have hearings, they have votes, they have that. The Democrats are in the minority, so be it. But that's not what's going on in Washington. And what if the governors were signing executive order after executive order, impacting voting, impacting the right to, to uh, spread the use of arms and that sort of thing? Would that be okay? Would that be okay with uh, Pasaki? No, they'd be trashing this as white privilege. Van Jones would go on TV, well, there goes the party of Lincoln. It's over again, right? Go ahead. More accessible, uh, more available to people across the country. The president believes it should be easier, not harder to vote. And he will look It should be easier, not harder to vote. This is bizarre. Does the president believe the tax code should be easier, not harder? Does the president believe it should be easier to get on an airplane and not harder with the TSA? I mean, there's certain things the president believes should be real easy, and that's when it benefits the Democrat Party, like open borders. But he also thinks things should be harder in many respects, too. But this isn't about easy or hard. This is about integrity. That is, only people who are supposed to vote should vote. And how hard is it to vote? 
How hard is it to vote? How hard is it to show an ID? What percentage of the population of this country doesn't have an ID? I want to know this because they keep throwing this up. What percentage? Who, who doesn't have an ID in this country? Maybe there's a person here and there. Every state law I've examined as uh, when I used to work at Landmark as a full-time job, every one of them, the state says, we will provide you free with an ID. So I want to know what they're talking about. This is a big deal. You know, like the gun show loophole which represents some tiny percentage of a 1% figure in terms of the uh, sale of uh, weapons, which are never used in mass shootings. So what is it exactly that prohibits people from having an ID? That means you can't fly. That means you can't go in many buildings. That means you don't have a bank account. That means uh, you can't get a mortgage. That means you can't get any other kind of loan. You don't have an ID. How do you file your tax returns? Well, maybe a lot of people don't. But you understand the point. An ID. You go to a grocery store. You want a six-pack of beer. They ask 90-year-old women for their ID, just so they're not discriminating, you know, against anybody. So they show them their ID. You go around this society without an ID. So it's not racist when it's demanded by the federal government to enter any federal building, including the White House. It's not racist when demanded before you get on an airplane or a train. It's not racist in order to open a bank account or to get a mortgage or anything else. But somehow it's racist when you ask people to vote. Oh, you must be opposed to minorities voting. What the hell are you talking about? I just don't want people voting who aren't supposed to vote. Whether they're minorities in the majority, somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. No. This is how they hijack the language. This is how they hijack issues. Then they have mouthpieces like Van Jones out there. Unbelievable. And Stacey Abrams is a a demagogue who's never challenged by the media. They bring her on to promote her message. They bring her on news platforms, on news shows, to advance her propaganda and demagoguery. After all, she's a political hack. That's all she is. She wants to be governor of Georgia. She lost the race fair and square. She still hasn't conceded, even now. But don't worry, she's not inciting anything. Cut 17, go. New Jersey has been leading the way with automatic voter registration. Who cares? Who cares? New Jersey's leading the way. That's the first thing it's leading the way on, I can tell you that. They tax the hell out of their people. They regulate the hell out of their people. The government sucks in New Jersey. They kill God knows how many senior citizens. Same thing as Cuomo, that idiot governor. New Jersey's leading the way. Is everybody moving to New Jersey or are they moving out of New Jersey? Automatic voter registration. It's a one-party state, New Jersey, for all intents and purposes. Sure, every now and then they burp up a Chris Christie or a Tom Kane, these rhinos. Utterly useless. But it's effectively a one-party state. So, of course, they have automatic voter registration. Should we, let me ask you this. Should we, should we allow 16- and 17-year-olds to register to vote? That's an HR1. That's an S1. That would be a nice question from a reporter to Pasaki. But no, you don't get that. Go ahead. Having the foresight and the humility to understand that redemption for those who come out of our Prisons and jails must include a reintroduction. into. No, it mustn't. And number one, that's number one. 
Number two, if that's what your state chooses to do, that's perfectly fine. If that's your opinion, that's up to you. But she wouldn't be doing this if the vast majority of these individuals were voting Republican. You need to think of it that way. It wouldn't even be on her radar. It wouldn't even be on their radar to let illegal aliens into this country if down the road, 10, 20 years, they knew that two-thirds of them were going to vote for Republicans. They would be manning the border. You'd have the highest, widest, biggest wall on the face of the earth, bigger than the wall of China. That's what the Democrats would do if all these people pouring over the border would one day be Republicans. And so the only reason she believes in humility and redemption and all the rest is because they know from the statistics that the vast majority of people who come out of jails, not everybody, not every. I know some actually very, very nice people who have served time and who have contacted me and us and who I have great respect for and how they turn their lives around. But that's not what she's thinking about. She's thinking of voters. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. I'm going to make a little bit of a uh, right turn here. And after the bottom of the hour, I'm going to demonstrate to you how remarkable Operation Warp Speed was and is and the leadership of President Trump. And it really is an absolute sin and injustice that the result of this brilliant work that was done in the prior administration uh, is credited to the current administration, which is a screw-up from beginning to end. It really, it really is a terrible misjustice. That said, I want to explain to you what normally happens to get something approved. I think you're going to find this rather fascinating. Upsetting, but fascinating. I'll be right back. The research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, I uh, have a number of partners in broadcasting. Cumulus West with one here behind the microphone. Blaze TV and Levin TV, our digital TV project. Simon & Schuster, who basically leave me alone, by the way, on my book projects. 
And, of course, Fox on Life, Liberty, and Levin. And I want to congratulate uh, Fox Nation, because obviously they've been watching me a lot on Life, Liberty, and Levin, their Sunday show, and on Levin TV, on the Blaze TV network. Because apparently they're going more and more to these long-form interviews, Mr. Producer. Now, before I started doing this five years ago on Levin TV, and three years ago on Life, Liberty, and Levin, nobody was doing it. Certainly not at a consistent level over years. Instead, the prototypical program was to have a phalanx, a blitzkrieg of guests that would show up, sort of do a dance, a fan dance, be dismissed, and then on to the next topic. Boom, 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 quick, quick, quick. That was the, that was the prototype. That was the, uh, the process. And I said, no, I, I don't want to do things that way. I want to have discussions with one, at most two people on Life, Liberty, and Levin. On Levin TV, I want to be by myself with no guests where we'll go over issues at some great length. Or if I have a guest, one at a time, maybe two at a time, that's it. And when we released the uh, Levin TV and then later Life, Liberty, and Levin, on the latter when we released it, I made it clear that we wanted a long-form interview program where we were going to talk to people who are in and out of politics, but people who make a difference. Some of them are writers, some of them are professors, some of them are everyday people. And I notice now that Fox Nation has picked up on this. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? In a big way. I guess they think it works, ladies and gentlemen. I guess they think it works. And if I'm going to pull broadcasting, whether it be radio or TV, whether it be digital or whatever it is, towards such a process, that's all for the better. It's all for the better. You'll learn a lot more. You'll understand a lot more. You'll enjoy it a lot more, I think, than the typical conga line approach that almost every host has embraced except for me. I don't like it, and I won't do it. I don't do it on TV, and I don't do it on radio. So I just thought I'd point that out. I wanted to salute Fox Nation for, uh, for watching me. Congratulations, John and all the others over there. Good job. I wanted to give you an example of how the Food and Drug Administration and all the tributaries in and out of the FDA work on a a normal basis. And I'm looking at a piece called the Harvard Health Publishing Harvard Medical School, a new Alzheimer's drug from advisory panel to FDA. What's at stake here? This has been going on and on and on as people succumb to Alzheimer's. No hurry. Just the usual processes. When I read you some of this, I want you to think about it in the context of Operation Warp Speed. That is how the bureaucracy conducts itself when nobody's looking. Andrew Budson, MD, contributor. It's been more than 17 years since the FDA last approved an Alzheimer's drug. Well, Biogen's drug called Aracanumab in this drought, 
The FDA will decide by March 2021, that's this month, based on its own analysis of clinical trial data and an advisory panel's review of the evidence. How does the drug work? Well, it's an antibody engineered in a lab to stick to the amyloid molecule that forms plaques in the brains of people with Alzheimer's. Most researchers believe that the plaques form first and damaged brain cells, causing tau, tau is like a tar, uh, tangles to form inside them, killing the cells. It smothers the brain cells. Now, once this drug has stuck to the plaque, your body's immune system will come in and remove the plaque, thinking it's a foreign invader. The hope and expectation is that once the plaques are removed, the brain cells will stop dying, and thinking, memory, function, and behavior will stop deteriorating. If the drug works, it would be the first drug that actually slows down the progression of Alzheimer's. That means we could possibly turn Alzheimer's from a fatal disease into one that people could live with for many years in the same way that people are living with cancer, diabetes, and HIV AIDS. Now let me stop here. Have you noticed this has received absolutely no news attention, Mr. Producer? Zero. For researchers, it means that more than 20 years of scientific work, which suggests that removing amyloid from the brain can cure Alzheimer's, may be correct. But many of us have begun to doubt this theory, because trial after trial has shown that amyloid could be cleared from the brain, but clinical disease progression was not altered. And then it goes through the, the questions that they have about the drug. Should the FDA approve it? To determine if a drug should be approved, many factors need to be considered. First is whether it works, and as discussed, there are questions regarding its efficacy. You also have to consider side effects and other burdens on patients, families, and society. Let me just stop there. I imagine if you have dementia, if you have Alzheimer's, and there's nothing that can reverse it, I suspect people would want to use it and try this drug, and the families would too, wouldn't you, Mr. Producer? I mean, suggest that you would want to use it for your family? Of course. He says, you first need an amyloid PET scan to be sure you have the amyloid plaques of Alzheimer's. Then to take the drug, you need an intravenous infusion every four weeks, forever. 30% of those who took the drug had a reversible swelling of the brain, and more than 10% had tiny brain bleeds. These side effects need to be watched closely by an expert, neurologist, radiologist, who understand how to monitor for these events and know when to pause or stop the drug. Another factor that considers the size of the benefit. Here it was fairly small, looking at the two objective measures in the positive trial. The high dose made a .06 point change on the 30 point mini mental state examination. And he goes on. Cost also needs to be considered. So it goes on and on and on of all the negatives, whether it's cost, tests, you know, maintenance, the impact. And I thought to myself after reading this, it was sent to me. If the same thinking and the same bureaucratic approach had been taken with these vaccines, we would never have had a vaccine. we would never have had a vaccine. If you talk to family members who have a family 
a member of their family that has one of these horrific diseases, whether it's dementia or Alzheimer's, whether it's something else. They'll try almost anything because they know it's sheer demise. It's sure demise. They'll try almost anything. It says here uh, the cost could be very high, and so we'll let people decide. But I wanted to give you that example. There are many more as to why Operation Warp Speed was so remarkable and so exceptional. And why Dr. Fauci and Dr. Jill Biden and patient Joe Biden never thought it could be pulled off. But Donald Trump insisted on it because he knew the only way to really address this virus was to come up with a vaccine. And he put the money where, the mouth, where his mouth was. Billions and billions. It had never been done this way before. It's never been done this way before. A president has never paid for potential vaccines in advance, subsidized and to help capitalize these pharmaceutical companies. Not only put in orders, but already started to develop the distribution system. All these things were done. It's like sending man to the moon, ladies and gentlemen. That's why it's important that the right people be recognized for what they did so we can learn from this. Rather than the demagogues who step in and say, look what I've done, when they've done nothing. It just happens on their watch. Very, very important to understand how remarkable this achievement actually was and how it came to be. I'll be right back. in. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. You know, uh, you folks, a lot of folks, have commented on my opening monologue on Life, Liberty, and Levin last night. Even my wife thought, that has to be your best, or certainly one of your best. So our good friends at Fox have uh, provided us here at the Mark Levin Radio Show with the clip of the opening monologue, and we will post it now on Rumble and on Parlor. And those of you who couldn't watch it, I hope you'll have an opportunity to take a listen. And uh, we'll provide it to some other websites over at Right Scoop, among others. And uh, 
Why don't you send it over to Dan Bongino, see if they'll put it on the Bongino Report, which we uh, promote quite extensively here because it's an outstanding site. And we'll see how that goes. But I think you'll, you'll enjoy it, those of you who didn't see it. In uh, Loudoun County, which is the county I live in, the Democrats took control just a few years ago, and they are destroying this county. It's the wealthiest county in America with a real population, you know. But they're destroying it as fast as they can. And the uh, teachers' union here is radical left, out of control, overpaid, underworked. That's right, I said it. Screw you. Now, Loudoun County Public High School teacher during a Zoom class berates a student for not acknowledging race during her lecture. I want you to listen to this. This is what's going on in the Loudoun County Public Schools. There's also a group of parents who believe in liberty who have been targeted by members of this union, among others, because of their opposition to critical race theory. And the school board, where they now have a bunch of morons on this school board, we call them Democrats, totally confused, befuddled, don't know what to do. And during this pandemic, when I'd be driving around my county to actually accomplish certain things and do errands, There were school buses driving around without children in them. So I guess they could pay the bus drivers. I guess. I don't know. You know, we used to make jokes about these communist societies where people are paid to dig holes, and then people are paid to fill the holes that were just dug. Loudoun County. Here's the teacher-student back and forth. Cut 18. Go. The story behind this picture, um, I'd rather hold on to that. Just tell me... What, what this seems to be a picture of. It's just two people chilling. Right, just two <clears throat> people. There's nothing more to this picture? Nah, not really. Just two people chilling. I don't believe that you believe that. Um, I don't believe that you look at this as just two people. Um, I don't think Truly, you it's just, just two people, though, is it not? Yeah, but I think you're being... I think you're being... Um, I think you're being intentionally coy about what this is a picture of. What would I be being coy about? It's two people standing back to back in a picture. Yeah, and that's all you see is two people. I, I'm, I'm confused on what you would like me to, to speak I don't, on in that I don't sense. think you are. I don't know why you do this. Um, I'm not trying to call you out, but you, 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 know, you come out off of mute to talk about what this is a picture of, and you act as if, as if you know, there's nothing noticeable about this apart from the fact that there are two people. Well, I'm confused. Are you trying to get me to say that there are two different races in this picture? Yes, Is that I what you want me to, to say? That. Well, at the end of the day, wouldn't that just be feeding into the problem of looking at race instead of just acknowledging them as two normal people? No, it's not. Because you, you can't not look at, you can't, you can't look at the people and not acknowledge that there are racial differences, right? But if we're going for, let's say if we're looking for equality within all this, then why would we need to point out things such as that? Because those things, those differences are real things. See, this student, is this student a white student or African-American? Do we know Mr. Producer? Far smarter than his teacher. You see, and you listen to this and you're furious. I don't care what your race is, right? He's looking at this and he's seeing two people. That's the way he wants to see the world, colorblind, Martin Luther King. That's his message and so forth, right? No, wrong. No, no, you've got to acknowledge somebody's race and their color now. 
And he doesn't want to do that. He sees, he knows what the race is, he knows what the color is, he's not a fool. But he wants to treat human beings as human beings. And the teacher, the school system is saying, no, you must acknowledge and look at race. We've come full circle, ladies and gentlemen. We now have racism being taught in our public schools. I'll be back. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Here's Reuters, ladies and gentlemen, reporting on... Quote, Biden releases first slate of judicial nominees, unquote. Stay with me. There's a reason why I touch every one of these issues. Reuters, President Joe Biden released his first slate of 11 federal judicial nominations on Wednesday, including three black women for federal circuit court vacancies, a Muslim American and an Asian American, a Pacific Islander. The black woman nominated for federal circuit court vacancies include Judge Kentanji Brown-Jackson for the U.S. Court of Appeals of the District of Columbia. She's a big leftist. She, you may recall, was involved in some of the Trump uh, cases. Tiffany Cunningham for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. And Candace Jackson Akawumi for the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. Jaid Qureshi, a New Jersey magistrate judge, would be the nation's first Muslim American to serve on a federal district court. Judge Florence Plan would be the first Asian-American judge to serve on a U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, the White House said in a statement. Now, these are lifetime appointments. We don't know a thing about any of these soon-to-be nominees. Not a substantive thing, except their race and, in one case, their religion. That's all we know from Reuters, one of the major wire services in the world. You don't have the foggiest idea if these people are constitutionalists, if they're activists, if they're radicals, if they're mainstream. You don't have the foggiest idea, and Reuters doesn't give a damn. They just want you to know the race, and in one case, the religion of the nominees. And there's way too damn much of this going on. Now, when a Republican nominates individuals who happen to be black or what have you, They want to know all about them so they can destroy them. Ask Clarence Thomas. Ask a whole host of nominees that were presented by George H., excuse me, by George W. Bush and by uh, President Trump. Didn't matter what their race was. It didn't matter what religion they held. All that mattered was, are they with us or with them? But Reuters doesn't tell us anything about these would-be nominees. Not a thing other than their race and, in one case, their religion. Because the left gets a pass. 
You get a pass. It's just easier to be a leftist than it is to be a conservative or a constitutionalist or even a Republican. And I'm looking at this, what, what kind of reporting is this? They're regurgitating what the White House put out. And so what you know tonight is that Joe Biden nominated 11 federal judicial nom- uh, potential uh, individuals, three black women, one Muslim American, an Asian American, and a Pacific Islander. There it is. It's over. That's the whole story right there. You don't know a damn thing about anybody. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Like the teacher was scolding the student, and that student was very cool. Cool as a cucumber. And he didn't like being pushed around by that teacher. And so, uh, all you need to know, according to the media and your government, is now the racial makeup of the nominees which is something that is so repulsive, goes so against the whole notion of the civil rights movement. No, now we want you to know race. Now we need you to identify race. Now we need to know who the oppressors are and who the oppressed are, who the privileged are and the underprivileged are. Now we need to mete out benefits and punishment based on race. What? Wow. It just depends on who's meting out the punishment, that's all. That's all. Now, there was an insurrection that took place a day ago, an insurrection. And unless you have to watch this stuff like I do, you're unaware of it. An armed insurrection. Antifa armed rioters descended on Oregon State Capitol in Salem. There was an armed insurrection against the government of Oregon. The state capitol came under attack. Are you aware of this? Now, nobody had arms on January 6th, certainly not defending what took place. Not now, not then, not ever. That said, nobody had arms. Here's an armed insurrection. Antifa is armed. Salem police arrested at least three people and urged others to stay away from Oregon State Capitol building Sunday evening as violence linked to Antifa line protesters broke out. The, quote, heavily armed, unquote, crowd had grown to as many as 200 people, Fox 12 Portland reported. The chaos unfolded as a planned right-wing protest. That is anything that's not left-wing. And Antifa counter-protests were scheduled in Salem for the same day. Police received reports of vehicles driving past the Capitol being struck with balloons filled with paint, as well as green lasers being pointed at the drivers. This didn't happen on January 6th, I don't believe. Videos shared by independent journalist Andy No, so that one vehicle uh, had its uh, window smashed out while another protester was nearly run over by a truck. No said the protesters were Antifa, noting that they brought their flag as well as weapons and riot gear. Here's an insurrection in America. Not a word. An insurrection. An attack on a state capitol building. A liberal state, by the way. Police issued an audible warning to protesters that they're participating in an unpermitted event and blocking Court Street. They should have had uh, all kinds of loudspeakers saying, Dr. Fauci says wear two masks and six feet apart. Quote, exit the road and obey the laws, they said. Failure to do so may result in arrest. Stay on the sidewalks and exit the roadway. 
Oregon State Police and the Salem Police Department's crowd management teams moved protesters away from the scene. Police declared the protest an unlawful assembly and formed a line in front of the Capitol. One person arrested by police allegedly had pulled out a gun. Do you know nobody who's been arrested related to January 6th pulled out a gun? Because none of them had a gun. Due to activities expected at the at Oregon Capitol today, be aware there may be pedestrian congestion in the area and so forth. The risk of violence has increased as the opposing protesters are expected to arrive in large numbers. Authorities said the department, along with the Oregon State Police and the Marion County Sheriff's Office, were monitoring the situation and prepared to act in the interest of the public safety. So here we had an armed insurrection. Yesterday, against the Oregon State Capitol, actually two days ago, Sunday evening. And nobody says anything about it outside of the people in Oregon. Isn't that amazing? And Antifa has armed insurrections all the time, but they're utterly ignored. Why is that? I ask these questions because we know the answer. They're called rhetorical. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. All right, so I did this monologue last night on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin, and I don't write them in advance. It was Sunday night, sorry. And I don't write them in advance. I don't have notes. Uh, I just speak from my mind and my soul and my heart to you. And uh, it went on 13 minutes. So we're going to play part of it now and then part of it after the bottom of the hour. I hope you'll take a listen. Here we go. I have some books here, not for show. I've been doing an enormous amount of research and reading as I prepare for my own writing. And I need to tell you about what's going on with your country. Rather than in some surface-level, superficial way, I want us to dive a little bit deeper tonight because it's very, very serious. First thing I want to do is remind you, Thomas Paine, December 23, 1776, he wrote a pamphlet called The Crisis. It was so powerful that George Washington read it to the troops because the morale was very low and we were losing the Revolutionary War. And it opens with, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. 
But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem It is dearness only that gives us everything its value. Hmm. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. We don't talk much about freedom, let alone individual freedom and property rights and unalienable rights anymore. We don't really hear much reference by these politicians in the White House and in Congress about the Declaration of Independence, our founding document, because many of them reject it. Many of them abhor it. We're told there was a meeting in the White House earlier in the week with some so-called historians and Joe Biden, put together by John Meacham, who had been writing some of Biden's speeches without telling the American people as he was critiquing them on MSNBC. But he pulled a meeting together with a number of them, Beshlash and others, and Biden wanted to know, and they wanted him to know, that he could and should go big, real big, that he has the potential to be bigger than FDR and LBJ and Barack Obama, three of the biggest spending, most expansive government presidents we've had in American history. I want you to keep something in mind. Our Constitution is intended to prevent this sort of thing. Go big, go fast, they're telling them. The Constitution says go slow and be deliberative. We have three branches of government. We have separation of powers. We have a Bill of Rights. We have what we call states, federalism, the Ninth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment. We have a First Amendment. All these rights under the Bill of Rights are intended to protect the individual against the government. Massive government spending in all things, reaching every corner of our society, affecting all aspects of our culture, that's not what the Constitution created. The Constitution didn't create some kind of neo-Marxist or democratic socialist regime of the sort they have in Europe and other places in the world. And so I've been taking a very close look at these things and Joe Biden's executive orders. And you might recall the Biden-Sanders manifesto that was 150 pages that I discussed over and over again on this program, on radio, and on Levin TV as well. They're instituting this line by line, page by page. This is a manifesto, and I'm going to say it. It's a neo-Marxist manifesto. If we don't have the strength and the courage to use the accurate language to describe what's going on, then we will not be able to confront it, let alone defeat it. Now, I want you to know, Joe Biden is not well-read. He's not particularly bright. He never has been, even in his uh, most cogent days. But he is surrounded by ideologues, not just from the Obama administration, but other ideologues. And I want you to know something about them. They read books like Counter-Revolution and Review by Herbert Marcuse. Herbert Marcuse, who I'll get to in a minute. Stick with me. Here's another one. The Breaking of the American Social Compact, Francis Fox Piven and Richard A. Cloward. These are Marxists. Frontiers in Social Movement Theory, two other professors. We have, is everyone really equal? Second edition, two more professors, including Robin D'Angelo, who may be known to some of you. Reason and Revolution, again, Herbert Marcuse, 
There he is, Marxist. The dialectical imagination, dialectical imagination of the Marcuse School of Marxism. Stick with me. Marx and education, the late Jean Anyan, how to use Marxism in the classroom. Critical race theory, Richard Delgado and Jean Stefnik's, right there. Again, Jean Anyan, radical possibilities, that is Marxism in the classroom. The Progressive Education Movement by William Hayes. Do you even know all this is going on? Again, One Dimensional Man, which was a very important book to the new left, Herbert Marcuse. Again, here we have Liberalism and Social Action. John Dewey, one of the original progressives 100 years ago. Angels in Stalin's Paradise. We have more. Radicals. You're familiar with this? Rules for Radicals? Saul Linsky. We have... Navigating borders. Critical race theory is not just anymore about blacks. It's about immigration. We have critical immigration theory, or what they call LACRIC now. Never heard of it, did you? And then, of course, we have the New York Times and the 1619 Project, the purpose of which is to inculcate and indoctrinate students in our elementary and middle schools to hate America. What else do we have here? We have the degrowth movement that calls itself the climate change movement. In defense of degrowth by Jorge Collis. We have political theory and global climate change. Uh, it doesn't matter who it's by, but these are professors and scholars in the field, so-called. What is critical environmental justice? We have farewell to growth. I want you to know all these books are relevant to the people who surround Joe Biden to Bernie Sanders, to AOC. These are professors, these are so-called scholars, both in America and overseas, that are affecting your lives. Now, that's the first half, actually, most of it. We'll play the rest of it after the uh, bottom of the hour. And I thought it was important for the Fox audience, of which uh, many of you are included, to hear this. And these books I am presenting on the program then and now it's just the tip of the iceberg. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something. There's a brilliant professor. I don't even know if he's with us anymore. His name is Robert Stoller. And he wrote a brilliant book. The name of which escapes me right now. Sorry. But at great length, and he's studied for decades, millennialists, he was talking about millennials before most people were talking about millennials. And I won't get into all the weeds with you, but he makes the point, and he's quite right. Their revolutions are led by young people. I'm not talking about the professoriate, and their role is obvious. They're propagandists, they indoctrinate, they brainwash, and so on. But revolutions are led by young people. Not by old men and old women. I'd say, Mark, I know that. Did you really? I mean, when you think about it in some, at some, in some detail, the fact of the matter is, Lenin was a very young man when he became a revolutionary. So was Trotsky, so was Stalin. Mao was a very young man. All of these men, in the case of Lenin and Trotsky, in the case of Mao, were college-educated. Castro was 29 years old, college educated, a lawyer. 
And there are exceptions, but the rule seems to be that these most violent revolutions and these most genocidal regimes are uh, triggered, are initially led, the revolutions are led by millennials. This is a very important thing to remember. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Luffin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. Well, we want to thank Jim Jordan or his people for listening to the program as well as so many other people. You might recall last night on the program, this program, I said this vaccine passport. So they want a vaccine passport. But no ID for voting. Remember that, Mr. Producer? That's been repeated all day today. There are parrots out there. They're everywhere. And that one line that I said off the top of my head behind this microphone may have done more to help kill this vaccine passport idea than anything else because they can't square the two. That's why I brought it up. They want a vaccine passport but no ID for voting exactly what I said. Now, before we get to the second half, the it's smaller than the shorter than the first half that we played of the monologue. The second half of the monologue from Life, Liberty, and Levin. Go ahead. Now what about our media? I pointed out this book the other day, Propaganda. What are journalists for? By Jay Rosen, one of the leading professors in the social activism journalism movement. That's right, social activism journalism movement. They call themselves public journalists, doing public journalism, public journalism and public life. Another book, The Idea of Public Journalism. And then this, Manipulating the Masses, Woodrow Wilson and the Birth of American Propaganda. I recommend it. It's long. It's exactly what Joe Biden is doing today. Now, when you look at Joe Biden's executive orders, when you listen to what he's discussing with these historians, what is not discussed? What is not discussed? This, the United States Constitution, which is supposed to place limits on a man like Joe Biden, on an executive branch like the Biden administration. All the talk 
about Donald Trump violating the Constitution, wanting to be a dictator, mentally unstable. Let me suggest those are the descriptions of Biden and his administration right now. Go big, go fast. What is this, some kind of dictatorship? No, go slow and go deliberative. We, the American people, want to know what's going on. He signed a bill that's 700 pages long, $1.9 trillion, and he never read it. Now they want to go for a so-called infrastructure bill that has nothing to do with infrastructure or some small percentage. The other day it was $3 trillion, $4 trillion. Go big, Joe. Now they're talking about $5 trillion. Biden has no idea what's in it. He has platitudinous explanations, but that's it. Why? Because Joe Biden ran to be president in my opinion, not because he cares about America. If he cared about America, he would never have run, given his medical condition, in my view. Why did he run to be president? Legacy. Why was he meeting with these historians? Legacy. How will he get written up in modern times as one of the great presidents? If he goes big and goes fast, if he embraces not democratic socialism, not progressivism, this is neo-Marxism, and in some cases, outright Marxism. We cannot be afraid to use this term. And let me suggest something to you. I regret to say this, that Karl Marx is probably the most influential ideologue, I don't even call him a philosopher, ideologue of modern era. More than Locke, more than Montesquieu, unfortunately, more than the greats, Karl Marx Karl Marx and his ideology are responsible for the death of around 100 million people. They're responsible for the imprisonment of over one and a half billion people. That's a lot of influence. So why, in the freest country on the face of the earth, that's based on the Judeo-Christian principles, that embraces Western enlightenment, that has a Bill of Rights for individuals, that has a constitution that is intended to limit the powers of the likes of Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi, and Bernie Sanders. Why are we going in the wrong direction? I'll tell you why. Because if you fight for liberty, it's a quiet fight in the Oval Office. You don't get written up as one of the greatest presidents in American history if you expand liberty. If you limit your own powers, if you limit the, the ubiquitous nature of the federal government, you got to create programs. You got to create entitlements. You got to turn one person against another. You need to be self-righteous and not show that you're actually a narcissist and an egomaniac. And then you're said that you, you're humane. The more you move to the hard left, the more you embrace Marxism, the more you embrace class warfare, critical race theory, critical gender theory, critical immigration theory. The more you attack the states, the more you attack the state legislatures, and the more you use propaganda to make your case, well, the greater your legacy will be. But ladies and gentlemen, this country isn't about Joe Biden's legacy. And it's not about the Democrat Party that wants to devour our government, all government, state, local, and federal level with the proposals that they're making. It's not about the federal government devouring the private sector. This is America. We are a constitutional republic. We believe in private property rights. We have unalienable rights. We do believe in a colorblind society, not critical this theory and critical that theory. This is America, where we're not ruled by one man, half-witted, signing executive order after executive order because he wants to be the greatest leftist in American history. This is America. We're not ruled by 50-50 Senate that tries to ram through whatever it can to change our electoral system and to change our border system 
or a House of Representatives that has a 10-vote margin, the smallest majority in 100 years, they have no mandate to do what they're doing. I've been saying this on radio since February 8th. Joe Biden is president because Joe Biden wants a historic legacy. And we are faced with two kinds of tyranny. In the executive branch, we're faced with a man who believes in autocracy. Go big, go fast, whatever it takes. Second Amendment, I oppose it. I will sign executive orders to do what? To change the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution? And then we are faced with a mobocracy in the House and the Senate that does not believe in deliberation. They believe in the iron fist with brass knuckles, with a 10-vote margin in the House of Representatives to push radical changes throughout our country, massive transformation, and a Senate 50-50 that uses our Constitution, the Vice President of the United States, who can break ties 51-50 to fundamentally alter how this nation functions. That's why it is important to get it straight. This isn't just another cycle in our political system in American history. This is deadly serious. If you're going to trash the Constitution, if you are going to breach the firewalls in the Constitution, if you're going to go big and fast, not for liberty, not for the principles of the Constitution and the Declaration, but for the opposite, in a neo-Marxist direction, well, if that's not an insurrection, then what the hell is it? Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. We're also posting it at request on, um, where are we posting it, Rich? Um, Parlor, Rumble, and the Mark Levin Show website, again, because people have been requesting it. And we'll send it over to a few other sites uh, um, and see if they'll post it as well so it's available to you. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Terry, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT. Terry, how are you, sir? Mark, I'm fine. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. I, I talked to, talk to Richie Rich, your call screener. He's a great guy. Yes, he is. There's a thing going around now in the police departments where when they're on the job, they were, if they got sued for um, criminal. Yeah, they had a level of immunity from lawsuits. On the civil side. Right. They lost. What do you mean? Those guys are going to be bailing out of New York City. Oh, I know. 
I'm glad you brought this up, Terry. And this is going to spread. I hate to tell you folks in Philadelphia. Because the Philadelphia Police Department, like the NYPD, is very close to my heart. Um, They want these damn slip-and-fall lawyers to bring lawsuits at the drop of a hat against cops. And cops are going to be exposed if they don't have insurance. Their families are going to be exposed. There are backdoor ways going on here, Terry, to defund the police. And this is what they're doing. They're making it impossible for a cop to do their job. They're making it impossible for a cop to... uh, to even know what to do anymore. Uh, And now, somebody who puts on that uniform doesn't make a hell of a lot of money, puts their life on the line every single day, and they have families too. Now, uh, it doesn't even have to be a situation where you actually break the law, or you actually do something that that harms somebody else. It could be that somebody perceives it that way, or accuses you of that, and then they hire one of these damn slip-and-fall personal lawyers and sue you. This, uh, this uh, DiCamio has a, uh, a, a suicidal uh, mission for the city of New York. For the city of New York. What kind of a person is going to be attracted to doing this work anymore? And it's work. And it's hard work. Thank you for reminding us, Terry. Thank you for your call. It's disgusting what the hell's going on in this country. It really is. This is why they want to nationalize all their policies, because people in New York, if they can, they're moving. If they can't, they're stuck. But if they can, they're getting up and they're moving. They're moving to other parts of New York, or they're getting the hell out of the state altogether. And that's why the Democrats want to nationalize their policies, so you have nowhere to go. It is, uh, it is, it is awful. Kevin, Mammoth, California, XM Satellite. Kevin, go right ahead, please. Hey, Mark, first-time caller, and uh, bought, a, bought a vehicle with XM Satellite Radio in 2017, been listening ever since. So Thank you, sir. Thank Appreciate you it. taking my call. You go so, for it. Uh, what I wanted to bring up is I wanted to talk about uh, uh, the Zoom call with the teacher and uh, the teacher. Yes, the Loudoun County teacher and this fantastic student who just wouldn't buckle. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that he's a great guy and obviously was taught well by his parents or other teachers. Um, so I have a coworker that uh, his son, who is in a kindergarten class, was asked to draw pictures of their family. Unfortunately, he's divorced, so all of his pictures had either his mother and the son or the father and the son, and and uh, one of the kids asked him, you know, why aren't why isn't everyone together? And he was the father. My coworker was a little bit upset to hear this. And my my mother has taught kindergarten for forty years, and I thought, you know, is this a normal thing? Is this a good thing? Should this be going on? I brought it up to my mother, and she said, you know what, that's completely normal, and. Normally, the kids don't have any idea that that's a problem at all. all right, let me say this. We have a minute left in the show. I get your point. No, it's not right, and that's not what teachers should be doing. They shouldn't be asking children to draw pictures of their family. They shouldn't be asking children about sex. They shouldn't be asking, uh, asking children about race. They shouldn't be asking children, what do you see in this picture? It's hard enough for them to teach actual substance. 
based on test results and so forth, our kids are not learning. You know, stick to the learning. Stick to the subject matter. Stay the hell away from the family, faith, race, and all the rest. You're not qualified to do it. Not in the least. And I'm sick of paying for salaries, pensions, and medical coverage for people who are left-wing kooks. Not all teachers, but you know who I mean. See you tomorrow. God bless each and every one of you.